Hello, everybody, and hello, humans. This is Not A Robot's Marvel Weekly Comic Review Show. This week, we're recovering from the end of King and Black with some good installments and the start of a new Guardians of the Galaxy team. My name is Kirk. I have all the superpowers of a strawberry Danish. And as always, I am joined by a group of esteemed co-hosts. This week, I'm here with Tom. Hey, welcome. And I have absolutely no superpowers to speak of. <laughs> That's my entry. <laughs> <laughs> we are here to analyze, critique, and editorialize all, uh, Marvel's weekly releases without worrying about publisher backlash. You can reach us at Not a Robot Comics on Twitter. You can reach me at Kirk Hopko on Twitter, and you can reach Tom at TJAXZI on Twitter. We answer all show mail sent to NotArobotComics at gmail.com. This next part is for all of the for all of our fans who support us with their hard earned money, but that's not the only way you can. You can share us, follow us, like us, subscribe, and spread the word. And that's the best kind of publicity we could ask for. But this next part is for the fans who support us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash notarobotpodcasts, where we have tiers starting at just $1 dedicated to bring you all the shows you love in a wide variety of platforms, covering comics, movies, TV, pop culture, and more. For our Patreons, this is the Not A Robot Must Be A Human shoutout and roll call. And that roll call goes to Weird Science Jim, Hollister, Blue Mondays, and Roch Crockett. So what are you waiting for? Show us you might just be a human after all, and get featured on the Not A Robot Must Be A Human shout-out and roll call. All right, Tom, before we dive into our reviews, any Marvel news this week? I don't have any new news, but I will say, as we were discussing uh, prior to the show, we've been both been enjoying the uh, Winter Soldier uh and Falcon series on Disney Plus. It's probably taken me a little longer to really dig in and, and enjoy what I've been watching. But especially with episode four, I started to really uh, get the feels for that show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've definitely been having a good time with it. Mm -hmm. I saw the latest episode, episode five, that just came out today. And I cannot wait for next week's finale. Mm. I know it seems to be building like they, they're telling the story and it kind of hits all the beats of an espionage superhero story, which we kind of expected that it would. But it's starting to hit the emotional, uh, it's starting to tie together some of the emotional strings, and especially with John Walker's character, and I think that's uh, increasing my interest level for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's he's doing well, and I think, provided they don't decide to kill him off in uh, in the show, I think it's a really good setup for him to yeah, eventually take on I the mean, role of the U.S. agent. Yeah, I see that happening, and I, I guess I feel kind of embarrassed that I wondered who the next... Uh, Captain America would be and who would be holding that shield because I think for all of America they were they were already settled that it was going to be um, Falcon <laughs> but for whatever reason <laughs> I decided that I needed to have a competition going on in my brain <laughs> yeah well right. and that's the thing I wasn't sure which direction they would go either because Bucky was Captain America for a while mm -hmm. too so it's so I definitely was like on the fence at first, yeah. uh, but at the end yeah. of Endgame, when he gave Sam the shield, I thought for sure that just that kind of like solidified it. But they announced this show as Falcon yeah. and Winter Soldier, so it was pretty obvious from the beginning that yeah, he hadn't hoping, quite taken on the honest, role of I'm Captain America. I'm hoping to get a little bit more excited and, about. And I wonder where he's going to go um, with that. I'm, Sam I'm excited to as see Captain America. It's a little bit too straightforward. Like the beats are a little bit too predictable. <laughs> and I know that's that is Captain America. His character is pretty predictable. The beats are pretty predictable. 
Um, but it's just a little, it can be kind of boring. So I'm <laughs> looking for a way for them to spice that up. But you never know. I haven't watched episode five yet. So there's, there's room to grow. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I, I guess I'm also just a little biased. I do just, I like him as Cap. I see him as Cap and I can see the run, mm -hmm. you know, that original run where Falcon became Captain America. Yeah. Like I can see that in, in uh, Anthony Mackie's portrayal of Sam. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm ready for, for him to take up the mantle and just be Captain America. Yeah. Yeah. I remember pulling those books off the shelves at, uh, our local comic book shop up on Route 56 here in the Chicagoland area. We're reading those. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And I would agree. I think they're hitting all the beats in the way that the story was told in the in the comics, but also just making it interesting so it's not like a straight copy of a story that was written previously. So I think it's they're owning it for sure. Mm -hmm. In other Marvel news, they announced who won the X-Men election. Mm. Do tell. So for those viewers who were not paying attention, a few months ago, they held an online vote for people to vote on who they wanted to join the latest roster of X-Men that will start in uh, X-Men number one coming this summer by, I want to mm, say it's okay. Duggan. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry Duggan. Uh, and they had already decided on most of the roster except for one. And you could vote from, and there was a lot of different characters in there. There was, uh banshee there was forge there was strong guy mm -hmm. so there were a lot of different uh picks to vote from and happy to say that polaris mm -hmm. is the winner of the mm -hmm. uh the election and polaris will be joining the latest x-men roster uh this summer uh alongside a team of professor x marvel girl sunfire sink cyclops uh wolverine and rogue mm -hmm. So I'm not a huge X-Men fan. Um, what do you think? How do you feel about that roster? I think it's a pretty good roster. Uh, I think having Sync and Rogue on the team is going to lend itself to some of those really crazy moments. Mm -hmm. Just in terms of like sheer what they're capable of mm -hmm. alongside other mutants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And out of a lot of the people who are in that election, Polaris is a pretty cool choice mm -hmm. for the winner because she's... I don't want to say one of the more normal type characters mm -hmm, in right. there, but when she's upset mm -hmm. or up against characters like strong guy mm -hmm. or characters who are visually very like interesting on screen, like, like armor and forge. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, here she is, she's just got green hair mm -hmm. and she's, I, I, and she carries like the Magneto rep with her. Okay. So I think it's a cool roster. I'm, yeah. I'm into it. I'm excited to see what they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. There's so much um, you can do with the X-Men universe. Number one, it's huge. So there's just so many different characters. And I think that the stories that you can tell with these characters that are uh, very diverse in a lot of ways and their power sets and their origins. And I just think that that lends to some really good storytelling. So I'm, do, do we know, um, well, you just said Jerry Dugan. When I hear Dugan, I think of uh, Deadpool. <laughs> But I'm sure I know he's written a lot more than just Deadpool. <laughs> I don't have enough of a comprehensive knowledge on his uh, portfolio. That's it's definitely Brandon's uh, mm -hmm. sphere of exper expertise. So maybe we'll have to ask him when he when he gets on. We're gonna have to give him a hard time because if he would have been on for this, he, we've been able to drop some actual valuable knowledge to our listeners. So we'll have to make sure that we let him know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's you know he's he he's leading this X Men run. Yeah. Um, and Hickman is doing a different run 
later in the summer and we still don't know the title of hickman's run so i'm mm-hmm. i'm curious what he's attached to but but yeah i uh i was excited by this news mm-hmm. i i actually voted for armor okay in the election so i was a little bit disappointed when it wasn't her but i knew people weren't gonna vote for her <laughs> i would ask like how that voting worked and how people could find their way to the ballot box but it, the ballots have already been counted so it doesn't matter <laughs> that's all i have for news this week ready to dive into some reviews i am ready all right so first up on our list is spider's shadow number one this is brought to us by writer Chip Zdarsky, artist Pascal Ferry, color by Matt Hollingsworth, and lettering by VCs Joe Caramagna. This is a what-if comic, for, um, and it is part one of four. So if you're looking for a, a quick short read, this is already something that might work for you. Come the end of summer, you might have a nice little four-part uh, mini-story to take home and enjoy. And this one takes us back all the way to when Peter Parker first found the Venom symbiote. The premise of this one, as it is told right on the front page, is that what if Peter Parker chose not to separate from the symbiote? And what follows is, you know, some of that familiar pieces that we saw with Peter Parker in the symbiote all the way back in the original symbiote saga. And, you know, he he's angry, he's emotional. Uh, it's, it's already... You know, dropping on us that he's he's dropped out of school. He's fighting with Aunt May. Uh, Mary Jane doesn't know what to think of him. It's a very, it's obviously creating a very toxic relationship for him. Uh, and the only difference between this and the original one really is that Peter doesn't seem to be ready to blame it on the suit. He doesn't seem to be aware enough of what's going on to to kick it, and the suit starts to misbehave he starts to get uh more aggressive with his crime fighting and he he fights the hobgoblin and the hobgoblin gets his butt kicked by spider-man but then spider-man he takes it that step further he unmasks the hobgoblin (laughs) and just says you know he makes a bold claim these streets belong to spider-man like very aggressive very hostile and then from there, Hobgoblin uh, ends up making it or escaping from that situation and then coming back and following Spider-Man later when he's, you know, he's more angry and he's not paying attention and, and attacks him at Aunt May's house. And this ends up being the thing that pushes Peter to that point of no return. And mm-hmm. he gives in to the symbiote in a way that we really never saw him go before. And he takes his first step into what is almost like the Peter Parker version of Venom, mm-hmm. where before it was just a symbiote around his spider suit. This one, it starts to show its teeth, It's except they look more mandible-like. It's, you know, I highly recommend reading this issue only to see this, this change and uh, the tease for the next issue. There's this cover that looks like something right out of a horror movie with Mary Jane pinned up against the wall with him lurking around the corner, like a, a like a dang xenomorph. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. This, this book, it started off a little slow for me. If I'm being honest, it was a little paint by numbers. And I think because of how it, the last half of the book went, I appreciated the slowness of the beginning. Once I finished it, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. No, I totally get it. And it, like, there's a couple of things they play off here, which I think feels it's somewhat believable. You have to believe in this quoted statement, and I pull this right out of the text. So this is spoiler warning, right? 
um, it, the symbiote, chose to be with me. And Peter is like, <laughs> I, that's pretty much you have to believe that statement um, because it gives some energy to the, to the transformation to a Peter Parker that's embracing the symbiote versus letting go of it. And I think what's really interesting about this is that they have these, these nightmare sequences and then you have this contrast, the breath of fresh air, which to me is always MJ and, and Aunt May actually, and they're both in this. And so I think they, mm -hmm. they kind of create a contrast that helps the reader see just how evil the symbiote is. And so this picked up steam for me. By the end of it, I definitely wanted to read more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoy it as a what if. I almost feel like I, I'm surprised I haven't read this what if already. Like, you know, v Venom's been around for 30 years and no one no one wrote this what if. I know. I, I... <laughs> I but, know that's a little bit but, that's in there, isn't it? It's like, hasn't this been told before? It has to have been told before. It, it has to have, and I'm just not aware of it. I, um, but Chip Zdarsky, the writer on this one, I do like him. His current Daredevil run is really impressive, and I, I really can't wait to see what he does with this because, yeah, like you said, if you believe that line, then you can really start to like yeah. buy into. Maybe it's a teeny bit yeah. campy, but it's like Spider-Man campy, and if you can buy into that emotion and buy into that this symbiote is making him who Eddie was all those years ago before Eddie went through all these great changes. Yeah. It's just kind of a really cool, cool take. And it's, uh, I also would think it's, mm -hmm. I also want to say it's like a little refreshing coming off of, you know, 30 issues of venom mm -hmm. that I've read lately. And then the King and black arc where venom has almost not, I don't want to say forgotten, but it venom is a mm -hmm. far cry from what it was when it was first introduced. And this is just like a, a drop of reminding you like, hey, remember that Venom used to be bad news. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of like that, isn't it? It's a good reminder, but it's a nice refreshing reminder <laughs> mm -hmm. in some ways. Um, in some ways, you know, I'm sure some wonderful stories, um, people who love those stories, the in-between the past 30 years. Um, but it's nice. It's nice to return to that premise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I gave Spider Shadow a 8.25 out of 10. Um, I think it ended really strong, but I, I do completely agree with you that at the start it was mm -hmm. it was bringing me back yeah. to the 90s or the 80s or whenever uh, that, that first, you know, Peter Parker being mm -hmm. kind of a petulant kid in an alien suit. At first I was just like, oh, okay, he's angry. Right. But then <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, that's it, right. You like, have to get used right, to the suit. We had to get here. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. So I, I'm bad with mm -hmm. the whole number rating system. Sometimes I don't even trust my rating system. Um, and so I'll give it an eight out of 10, but typically I have my own rating system, which has four levels to it. Number one, would I recommend someone to buy it? And would I run out to my local shop and buy the, the physical copy? <laughs> um, would, if I had the capacity to read it digitally and read every copy, would I? Yes, that would be number <laughs> two. Number three is I would wait for it to come out in some collected graphic digital volume at my library and read it. And number four would be don't touch it at all. So this would definitely be a book that would be hovering between a two and a one. So that's what got me to an eight. So there you go. That's the mechanics of my rating scale. <laughs> you know? I, I got to be honest, my rating scale is haphazard. Yeah. I live yeah. in active fear that anyone will ever hold me to what I'm saying about <laughs> like quality. Because there'll, there'll be comics where I'm like, yeah, this one was it's, great. It's seven. It's and then other ones where I was like, I'm picking this one apart. Eight and a half. 
Like, I'm going to get roasted one of these days, but... But if I don't like something, it's pretty clear. <laughs> like, I, when I go below a 7 and I'm in hovering around a 4 or 5 range, I really didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I give something under a 5, it's because I really didn't like it. Yeah. And it's it's always hard for me because I, you know, I kind of base everything off of, like, the old school right. grades and where right. I went to school... Anything below a 50% became an F. Anything higher was like a D minus or yeah. D or whatever. So if I give something a 4 out of 10, right. that means it's an F. Right. And if I give something a 2 out of 10, right. also still an <laughs> F. Like, so anything under 5 for me is like, just, it's bad. Right. <laughs> so I've got like, like 50% of my grading scale uh-huh. is five different versions yeah. of failing. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> which I feel should be wrong. Yeah, I feel like I should Perfect. adapt that, but I don't, which is why it leads everything to being like six to seven and a half is like my sweet spot. All right. Moving right along to Maestro War and Pax number four brought to us by writer Peter David art by Javier Pina and German Peralta color by Jesus Abertov and lettering by Travis Lanham. Uh, I'll pass this one over to Tom for the for the summary today. Alrighty, so this is the continuation of this post-apocalyptic world where human beings have destroyed themselves and Maestro is in charge and attempting to find a way to lead and stay in power. And in issue three, we saw this group called Pantheon, which is basically a group of gods, small g, um, that find a way to capture Maestro. And this issue starts with them having successfully transformed maestro back into banner and have encapsulated him in a material they're calling duranium and their idea is hey how can we kill um it's kind of morbid in some ways but when you think of everything that maestro and the hulk have done over the last umpteen decades it's probably a lesser evil but they're trying to figure out what to do with maestro uh in the meantime dr doom makes his way to dystopia which is the city that maestro leads from and pretty much shows up on the scene, introduces himself as the one that they all need to obey, and there's some interactions there between um, an underling of maestros and and kind of the common folk as they kind of ignore Dr. Doom and go about their business. And then the issue comes to a head with maestro finding a way out of the Duranium and then making his way back to the ultimate confrontation. Dr. Doom versus maestro is, I'm guessing fairly simple guess right that that's what's going to be coming up next so this is a tough book because i think peter david so years ago he did his first <laughs> run at this material and it's beloved by a lot of fans of the hulk and they just love this idea where the hulk faces maestro and it's a future version of himself and it's just this real struggle and it's an interesting struggle and an interesting fleshed out story that is not what you get in this book. And the dialogue is is less than on the nose. It's just cheesy. Uh, they dumb down Dr. Doom to the point where he's like a cartoon character. Um, Pantheon and their conversations are very uh, reductionist. There's really nothing, no layers there. They try to add a little bit of layer there where they have this sequence where Doc Samson is meeting on the therapist couch with Bruce Banner in the play on words the play on reality here is that bruce banner is unconscious and much of therapeutic work is dealing with the unconscious drives right (laughs) so they're trying to make something of depth uh reveal itself there um that's probably the closest they got to anything though so this is as you can tell 
It takes a lot for me to crap on a book that's a Hulk book. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of wanted there to be more Hulk books, but I can't recommend this. Like, I wouldn't buy it. I wouldn't watch it digitally. I wouldn't wait for it to come out as a collected digital volume. I think that you could actually skip this and you'd be fine in life. <laughs> so um, that's pretty harsh and straightforward, but that's that's how I felt about it. What did you think? I, I got to be honest, and this might be this might make it sound like it's better than it is, or it might be pretty high condemnation depending on who you are. Yeah. I read this. I, I, I didn't hate it in the moment, mm-hmm. but I was bored. Yeah. Yeah. So it, this comic didn't for a comic that has Maestro and Dr. Doom in it. I should not no. be bored. No, <laughs> I, and I feel, and I just was, and I want to, I want to give a more intellectual, reasoning than that i want to say that the the interactions between maestro and banner and the therapist and there was modok in there i want to say that these things i want to be able to point to like oh this was poorly handled or oh like i want to put my academic glasses on right but i don't have notes i was just i got to the end of it and i was like i don't want to go back through this i don't want to make notes (laughs) yeah and but i don't know if usually when i read a bad comic as I'm going through it, I'm like, oh, this is a trashy comic. And I didn't feel that way about this one. I don't want to say that this was a trash comic. That says a lot, doesn't it? I just it? didn't like it, and it didn't catch yeah. me in any way. Nothing it was trying to sell me on did I buy in. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's this Warren Pax arc, because I haven't... There hasn't been any... This is the fourth issue, but the first three didn't blow me away either. Mm-hmm. No. Like, I guess you ask yourself, like, why did, is this being written, right? Like, what purpose does this book serve? And because there's not much of a story here, you don't see, have you read anything in the first four issues that would create a strand, a story narrative that you would want to learn more about? Probably not. The only like minor thing is I, on paper, I like the character of Maestro. Right. Me too. Maestro having his own run was the strand I wanted. Right. But I just don't feel like this is delivering what I wanted from that proposal. No. And it's kind of falling into that quicksand of hey wouldn't it be great if we had more information on this thing but then when they try to do it you just don't like it (laughs) that's what this is Mm -hmm. right (laughs) this is like so yeah this is not a very i didn't really and i'm not sure i want to belabor the point too much so i'll just give you my rating scale on this i'll give it a five just being generous i'll give it a five out of ten it's a it's a fail um but anything between zero and five is pretty much the same grade (laughs) i i also gave it a five and and that's because I I want to say that maybe part of this is on me. Maybe I just had the, the wrong expectations of this book. Maybe that's just coloring my opinion. But right. I said it already. I made it through the book <laughs> without saying, oh, wow, this sucks. Yeah. So that didn't happen. But at the end of it, I was like, that, nothing happened. Like, stuff happened, but nothing, I don't know, nothing material. Nothing caught my yeah, eye. I agree. It's, it is entirely missable. I think you said it best. <laughs> All right. Next, we've got Nonstop Spider-Man issue number two by writer Joe Kelly, colored by Marco Meniz, lettering by Travis Lanham, pencils by Chris Bashalo, and ink by Tim Townsend, Al Vey, and Wayne Fauché. Because this is Nonstop Spider-Man, I'm going to try and attempt something silly here, and I'm going to try and give you the summary as nonstop as I can. Because that will put into perspective <laughs> Good luck. exactly what kind of comic we're reading here. But don't mistake me. 
any intonation that I put in this uh, description only comes from me doing it, trying to do it with as few breaths as possible and not indicative of the quality of the storytelling. All right. Nonstop Spider-Man starts with Peter Parker beating up the bad guys. Then it cuts to the hospital, cuts back to the bad guys, cuts back to the hospital. Then it cuts to him with Nora breaking in to get some clues on what's going on with these mysterious A-plus pills. Then they get attacked by an attack helicopter in the middle of the city, blowing up a building. Then they fight the helicopter. Then they escape from the helicopter and they land in the alley with the helicopter pilot. And when they're starting to try interrogating him, then they get attacked by the Zapata brothers and they... Uh, are now smart. They used to be dumb, but now they're smart. And they fight Peter Parker, and they're kicking his butt, and he's trying to save Nora in this alleyway while they're fighting the Zapata brothers in their monster truck. And they outsmart them a little bit, but then they have to run, and they have to escape into the sewers. And then they start to analyze the pills again and detect that they're radioactive and detect that they are... And they start piecing together that they are only being targeted on high-performing academic minorities. Uh, And then, oh no, the Zapata brothers make it into the sewers with their monster truck and fight some more. And Peter and Nora have to run. And then it gets a quick cut to Zemo at the end, continuing his antics from last issue. (gasps) (sighs) Thank you. Yes. I hope the uh, that it came clear through here. Nonstop Spider-Man really is nonstop. But I actually mean this in a truly good way. Everything I've read with nonstop Spider-Man, which has now been two issues is really just it's action-packed it's it's going it's going it's going it runs from one lead to the next without that peter parker detective work phase but there is still that element of it you get these half page pieces with him and nora doing their piece investigating and then a freaking attack helicopter blows up the wall and there's bad guys and then there's more bad guys and there's more bad guys i like the writing i like the art it's i will say it's still a little cringy like there's there's some this is i guess the best attempt at writing a young peter again he he talks like a kid and he's he uses words like he uses fam and like he's talking like a like someone trying to appeal to the young and trendies which is a well, little like eye rolly but it works and it's fun and the whole thing is lighthearted. and what did you think of it tom <laughs> I love this. Um, I love the art for one. Like this is like a like an all star panel. Like when you try to pull out what panel you like the best, if you like it, you're gonna love so many panels in this. Um, I think it serves to it serves the title well because it's running at different angles. Sometimes things are really crisp and clean. Sometimes they're a little blurry, and it kind of fits with the action sequences that are being depicted. Um, I love the fact that they're they're doing all the stuff that you talked about, but within it, they're weaving in, they're pushing the narrative along as well through the, the dialogue boxes, mainly through Nora's character, who's kind of doing this out loud mental inventory of all the evidence that they're gathering. I just think that it's done in such a refreshing kind of a way that this is a this is definitely a book that I would run to my local comic book shop and spend a lot of money on <laughs> if I, if I were I would be buying these books like like month to month just because of the uniqueness of it it's it feels like a guilty pleasure but there's there's nothing wrong with it right it's just good old fashioned Spider-Man fun Mhm I agree Yeah this Yeah is, I, this is a good one Yeah I gave this one an 8.75 it it probably deserves a 9 mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm going to casually just bump that up to a nine here live on the air. Yes. But no, that, now you're I, I gave it a nine out of ten. <laughs> it's like for me, it's like if it's a great book and I would run out and buy it, it's a nine. It gets to a ten if there's this special thing. And 
it could, this run could get there if it continues this. And then there's this special little thing that nudges it up to a 10 and makes it very, very unique. But this is a really, really good read. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I highly recommend this series for those who haven't got into it so far. All right. What do we got next? Next on our list is the latest issue of Guardians of the Galaxy issue number 13. Brought to us by writer Al Ewing, artist Juan Frigeri, color by Federico Blee and lettering by Corey Pettit. Guardians of the Galaxy 13 starts where, uh, after the close of the last arc, where, you know, the Guardians now are going a bit more legit than they were before. Uh, rather than being mercenaries hanging out in bars, they have a base and they're deploying and they're they're dealing with threats like a professional team of Guardians would, which is pretty cool. And this issue has them responding to a crisis on Thrones World, potentially. Yeah, the um, sorry, I'm looking through There's my notes. There's three here. different places that things are happening here. And they, they depict like the Skull Alliance in the beginning. And it, it sounds like they were either on Thrones World or somewhere else. Yes, Throne World, right, yeah. Um, and that's the thing. So Throne World is being attacked and the Guardians are being shipped out to, to deal with the problem. But they also have uh, a group of Guardians on another planet tracking down people who have gone missing. And sort of they have this ongoing fight in a couple different places. And it shows now that Wiccan and Hulkling who we saw on the cover of this new lineup of Guardians, Interesting. are here defending Throne World because Hulkling is the brand new king of space. And so they're fighting the the progenitors who are here to mutate Kree and take them in for studies. And so the, the Guardians show up and destroy the progenitors and threaten them and scare them off. Meanwhile, the... Uh, the ones on the Rim World find an ancient Skrull cult that wants to sort of cleanse the universe <laughs> and all the bad juju that comes with that. And as if those two big arcs weren't enough, you know, we've got the 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 lead of the 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 Rim World with the Fire Skrull, the Skrull cult, mm-hmm. and we've got the defeat of the progenitors on Throne World. <laughs> It just wouldn't end quite there without some unseen assailant begins to attack the Guardians while monologuing through this very beautiful diatribe. And who else shows up but to kick their ass is Dr. Victor Von freaking Doom looking great as ever. (laughs) What an entry. Uh, We were... (laughs) Oh, we were talking yeah. before we started the, the podcast. So they do a thing in here. And I love when you pull this off. So Star-Lord gives a little speech in the middle. <laughs> and you kind of, if if maybe your antennas went up, my antenna went up a little bit because I thought he gives a speech about being kind of the, the master of sunlight, soil, air, and water. And he kind of um, gives Groot an extra a burst of power and he grows a little bit and he kills one of the progenitors. And later on, Dr. Doom does his own little version of that and kind of mocks it as he goes along. (laughs) Perfectly done. Well played, right? Yeah. And just, and that's the thing. This entrance made this issue sing. Like his speech, (laughs) he's mocking, you know, Hulkling, the king of space and the master of the sun. And this might be a spoiler, but this is like one of my favorite lines in a comic I've read in a while. 
but he he talks about how they have such gaudy huge titles that star lord is the master of the sun all of this and then he says you know that he has mastered sorcery he has mastered how all kinds of things and the only title i have claimed is doctor and it's just perfect al <laughs> al ewing just writing a clinic on <laughs> on a good old-fashioned doctor doom entrance and i loved this i loved doom showing up i liked the fight with the progenitors i loved the uh introduction and explanation of quasar to the the lineup and i'm i'm just a fan of what we've got going on with uh with this new guardians lineup i'm a huge fan of wiccan and hulkling so i hope they stick around for for a spell Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right They and, did a little bit of Gamora and Peter Quill doing their little thang isle, but they didn't get caught into the weeds with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm, I, I'm honestly, I'm really here for this new Guardians team, and we've already seen that Doom is on the cover of one of the upcoming Guardians issues, standing alongside the team. Hmm. So if this ends up to be Doctor Doom joining on for a mission with the Guardians, I'm, I'm I don't know if I'm going to complain. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a sucker for Doom and. This this issue's got my number. What did what did uh, did you have any other thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean this was great fun, and I'm starting to develop an opinion that this Al Ewing guy he kind of knows what to do with these big characters. I think there's he has the right kind of combination of self awareness around how ridiculous this is, like grown men sitting around you know salivating over <laughs> these comic book characters, and so you you take yourself seriously, but not too seriously by being remaining self aware. And there's an element of that here that makes this refreshing and interesting. It's it's not trying to rewrite anything in the Marvel universe. It's just leaning into the Marvel universe in ways that we love. And so I found this incredibly enjoyable. And there's I think the highlight art wise had to be the the whole full panel spread of Doctor Doom with all the lightning and that that sword in his hand absolutely yeah i i gave this issue a nine out of ten i think if you didn't read the last arc of the guardians of the galaxy with the the fallen olympians this is a great place to start you know you're i don't think you're going to be missing too much from the the previous arc and this is it's a home run head start on the Mm -hmm. on the next story so yeah i would give this i'll give it an 8.75 but i could be convinced that it's an 8.825 um, only because I gave the previous one a nine, and I like nonstop a little better than this one, so I can't give them the same grade. Um, so that's that's my that's metric on that fair. one. Awesome. All right, moving on to Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon, number four, by writer Larry Hama, artist David Wachter, color by Niraj Manan, and lettering by Travis Lanham. Uh, Tom, I'll let you take over this one on the summary. Okay, so this is the ongoing story uh, arc called The Heart of the Dragon. And basically is there's a threat to the dragons that are protecting these sacred cities. And they the challenge here is to capture all the hearts and bring them back to... And I can I was trying to look it up. I don't have the name of the ultimate bad guy who or bad entity that wants these hearts. Um, but the, the story starts off with this character, Brenda Swanson, who has brought a heart and presents it and her beef is with the danny rand the harold meacham and rand corporation and some atrocities that they did against her family in the past and her wish when she turns in the dragon's heart is that she could have some of the chi 
Um, and that entity says to her, you know, be careful what you wish for. And from there, it transitions to this larger battle. But before we get to that, though, we have Okoye uh, from Black Panther, the Black Panther universe, I'll call it. And she's having a dialogue with another character around this idea of protecting the dragons. And so in a lot of ways, Okoye does a little bit, the bulk of the center of this book and then the end of it are Okoye centered. And she is, she has some interactions with this dragon and you get some dialogue back and forth and they kind of drop some Zen truths, which there's some, if you like kind of the whole Zen truth and the meditation mantras, there's some interesting mantras that are dropped in the middle of this that you can go back and read. And then there's a big shocker at the end though, right? Uh, we have... So in the middle of this diatribe between this dragon and Okoye, this idea is dropped that you have to do the unthinkable to basically to have ultimate victory or to overcome. And when they do something like that in the middle or towards the end of any story, in my mind, I know that something unthinkable is going to happen because they just told you that's going to what's going to happen. So that happens, right? So by the end of this, Okoye does something unthinkable and... So there's, actually she does it twice, the the dragon whose name I can't mention, I can't remember, but then the other one was the spider dragon. So you have two dragon's hearts that are basically gouged out by Okoye at the end of this. Spoilers to anyone who hasn't read it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the story. So how did I think, you know, what did I feel? Did it spark the feels? Did I like it? Uh, it's a good old-fashioned Kung Lao um, mystical iron fish, iron fish, iron fist story. And <laughs> yeah, I think it was all the dragons that they, they just had a, a Freudian slip there. Um, I guess I would struggle with it a little bit. Um, so I'm going to do a little back in the day here. The Power Man <laughs> and Iron Fist, the old David F. Walker, um, Sanford Green. Remember those books that came out maybe about three, four years ago? Yeah, that's how you write a Power Man and Iron Fist story, by the way. <laughs> So that, if you're creating like, you know, a metric here, that's top shelf. That's the stuff. That's what you want. You love the Power Man, Iron Fist dynamic. The art was amazing. Street yes, level Hell's Kitchen stuff mixed with magic and mystery and a lot of really cool stuff. This has a lot of the dinosaur mystery mystic stuff that I really enjoy. It probably doesn't have enough of the Power Man, Iron Fist stuff, although there is some of it in there. They expand the, the whole cast a little bit. You have some other characters that are in that grouping. And I like all of it. I'm not sure that it elevates to the point of love, but I do like a lot of it, and the art is done in a consistent fashion so that the books look um, consistent and cohesive in their representation of all these characters. And I, I actually appreciate that in my art with comic books. I hate it when you get into a book, and in one book the characters' faces are off, and the other ones, you're, you know, kind of the objectives are all kind of out of whack. This seems the pacing seems to go pretty well. There's not an overabundance of word balloons in this, which I think are, is really good. Um, sometimes they, they might lean into the whole Zen dialogue a little bit heavy, but I think overall that's not even getting nauseating. So overall, overall, I would say that this is a pretty solid read. What did you think? Mm -hmm. I thought it was a, I thought it was a fine read. I'm, I, I feel like I was a little hard on it when I, when I read it in my notes after the fact, mm -hmm. I, The mm -hmm. biggest thing that I yeah. wrote in my notes here, and I don't mm -hmm. actually, because everything you said, I also remember happening. So maybe the thing in my notes that I wrote here was actually only one or two pages, but it it was worth my attention after the fact that I that I docked points mm -hmm. for this. That at one point they straight up say that there's a second wave of undead attacking 
all the holy cities. And what follows is just like a, another couple panels of them going to all the places they just were, mm. fighting more zombies. And I, I just felt like that this that this issue didn't do what I needed it to do in in terms of like pacing on the action. Like watching them fight zombies and things like that. You know, I, I saw them do that last issue. And last issue ended with them kind of, I thought, like being ready for like the showdown with some dragons and some stuff like that. And the closest thing we get to that showdown here is Okoye just punking two dragons in, like, yeah, one page. <laughs> you're right. I mean, that's not great storytelling when you do stuff and then you do all the stuff again, all within the same issue. <laughs> and then, by the way, that's also stuff that happened in a previous issue. <laughs> I mean, um, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so with this one, I liked it, but I feel like I'm being a little mm-hmm. hard on it. My The score that I gave it was a 6.5. I... I don't know that it deserves to be that low, but it. Uh, yeah, I agree. I'll give it a seven out of ten. Um, but it didn't. It didn't blow me away. Didn't blow me away in any way, shape, or form. It didn't necessarily let me down, but it didn't blow me away. Well, Tom, let's uh, let's get your let's get your top three for the week and your your favorite panel. Okay, so my top three for the week, working in reverse order. Number three, we didn't get a chance to talk about. It's Children of the Atom, which I'm affectionately called calling Kota. And it's just a lot of great dialogue stuff that's interesting and it felt worthwhile. It wasn't just random minutia uh, mixed with some new age kind of mutant, uh, a mutant story. So I really like that. Guardians, I would put at number two. And number one was Nonstop Spider-Man. As far as my favorite panel, I'm going to pick on Nonstop Spider-Man. I'm going to go into page number 16. I'm calling this panel Physics is Fun. And it shows Spider-Man jumping around in all different angles with Nora in tow and her word dialogue is that physics is fun. Just a marvelous use of the art medium to demonstrate the basically the, the fast-paced nature of the story within the context of a fast-paced sequence within the story. <laughs> I just thought it was really clever and really wonderfully done. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, my top three for this week. At number three, we didn't get a chance to talk about this one, but the issue 29 of Daredevil uh, with you know some of Elektra as Daredevil mm-hmm. and some gorgeous pieces of Matt Murdock in prison. It's just working for me. I, I love that issue. At number two, I have Nonstop Spider-Man uh, for reasons I've already described at length here. And at number one, I have Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. It just edged out Spider-Man by just a hair. Because my favorite panel of the week is that just shot of Doom, the camera looking up at him and him just mm-hmm. holding that sword. And I'm like, yep, I am immediately reading Guardians 14 as soon as it hits my desk. And there's no one who can stop me on that. Right. It, it was, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, we read a lot of comics here. So some are inevitably going to be the opposite of the cream of the crop, the the, the worst. Or the biggest thinker. Oh, that's nasty. So, Tom, what was your biggest stinker this week? Oh, it has to be Maestro, and I won't even give it credit by re... Yeah, it's just Maestro. <laughs> mm-hmm. For me, it was Maestro and another one that we didn't get a chance to touch on, but Fantastic Four King number 30 is a King in Black tie-in mm-hmm. and that has come out after the King in Black has ended, and it just doesn't deliver anything new or mm-hmm. exciting. And that's the show. Uh, awesome. Thanks for coming out, Tom. Thanks for reviewing these for me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's a, it's always great fun to uh, to read a stack of books and then talk about them on air. Mm-hmm. 
And thank you to our humble listeners for tuning in. And special thank you to our Patreons. And with that said, there's only one way we say goodbye around here. Until next time, be good to each other, and don't be a robot. Hmm. All right, sir. 